We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 17, Welcome to Storybrooke. The original air date of this episode was March 17th, 2013. The writers were Goldberg and Chambliss. Yeah. Let's say let's all. Disappointed Marge voice. Mm. (laughs) Time to collectively steal ourselves since we know that going into it. The director of this episode was David M. Barrett. And the title card is a tree falling on a truck. Very magical. On a 1983 orange Bronco because I was so obsessed (laughs) with that card. (laughs) I like that. We begin in the land without magic of the past. A father and his son are camping somewhere in Maine. The father teaches his son how to correctly tie a lanyard keychain. As a gift, the father, who we will learn is named Kurt, gives his son, Owen, a lanyard keychain that he made when his father taught him. They sit up from their lawn chairs to get dinner started, but a strong gust of wind causes them to refocus their attention on putting out their campfire. These winds continually brush against them, and they take refuge in their tent while the dark curse blasts through the woods. Okay, but I really want that Return of the Jedi slumber bag that Owen has. And also, they are playing one of my favorite songs in the background, Naive Melody by Talking Heads. Also, this child absolutely believes that Darth Vader's name is first name Darth, last name Vader. (laughs) Hello, Mr. Vader. Mr. Vader from accounting. Oh my God, is Vader... An accountant? Elisa, put a sample in of I'm an accountant. <laughs> what is that, bro? It's a TikTok meme, and I will, it's like all of 2020 when everyone like kind of turned to OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. There was like this lip syncing one where it's like, in order to avoid like questions, it's like, I'm an accountant. Where do you work? Like at a place where accountants work. Do you like what you do? Yes. <laughs> what do you do? I'm an accountant. What does that mean? It's like, I do what accountants do. <laughs> it's like, it's such a boring job that no one really asks. I'll, I'll, I'll just send you links. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> You'll get it. You'll get I was going to say, you might have to link us. We are not connected to the clock app. We yes. don't know the clock app. We only know tangentially clock app. We only know the clock app when it ends up on Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) I try to post a lot of them there because they are good. (laughs) Kurt seems like a very good guy and a very sad dad. And I'm instantly attached and I'm ready for heartbreak. This actor is especially good. Like, I really like that they cast him. He's lovely. It's a sad dad. I always get prematurely like, oh no. Whenever in the beginning of an episode, they're like, here's a really nice father. I'm yeah. just like, oh no, yeah. oh, what are you going to oh, do no. to him? Oh no. What are you going to do to him? It reminds me in a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If there's oh, ever- whenever there's a kindly older man that's nice to Buffy. He's going to die And so you're just like, soon. oh no, it's oh, a no. kindly older man who's nice to Buffy. He'll be dead by the middle of the episode. <laughs> oh no, it's a substitute Merrick. It's that Merrick wound all over again. <laughs> just every time you're just like, oh no, it's going to happen. Oh no. It's going to happen. The next morning, father and son wake up to find the forest in a state of utter chaos, with trees and shrubbery cattywampus, one tree even crushing their sweet 1983 orange Ford Bronco. I love that car. (laughs) (laughs) Good for off-roading. Good for (laughs) off-roading? Good for (laughs) off-roading. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So for the listeners, um, I was born in the country. 
And so I thought you were going to say in a 1983 work for Bronco. <laughs> no, because I was born in 1982. And we had one of those sweet vans with like green vinyl interior. It was like split pea green. It was nasty and wonderful. But no, just reminds me of my my very early, very early childhood in the country. Kurt begins searching his map for the nearest highway in hopes of getting a ride from someone to the nearest town. When they look down a cliffside, they are amazed to see a town near where they had camped the previous night. The man looks at his map and does not understand how a whole town could suddenly appear overnight. It's like magic. Kurt also immediately notices that the clock on the library is not moving right away. Like you can see it on his face. And he has those horror movie senses go off, but he doesn't listen to them. He doesn't turn and run right then and there. And I wish he did. Yeah. Yeah, like, I know his car is busted, but for real, when you see this kind of horror movie nonsense, you just, you just run until you can't run no more. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. As Kurt and Owen explore the town, the sheriff of the town pulls up behind them, asking the two if they are lost. He tells them his name is Graham, welcoming them to Storybrooke. That boy who I missed, stupid handsome Graham, he's back! Handsome Graham, he back! Stupid handsome Graham, we've missed you so... Uh, I think this is why Kurt pushed down his heebie-jeebies and decides to stay because of just how beautiful and reassuring the handsomeness of Graham is. I mean, those puppy dog eyes will get you every time. I mean, this town can't be all bad. A hot Irish man in futuristic menswear is here. (laughs) Valid point. Mm Mm-hmm. It's 1983, and Mayor Regina Mills wakes up for the first time in the town of Storybrooke. As she surveys the town from a bedroom window, she smiles triumphantly. She's so pumped about her short hairdo when she first wakes up. She's like, sweet, flipped hair. My curse must have worked. She is super excited about that new hair. (laughs) New hair, who dis? (laughs) (laughs) It'll fix everything. It'll fix everything. Regina walks into her new closet and picks out an outfit for the day. And why she is so excited to have a plain sheath black dress after the wardrobe she used to have is beyond me. But hey, what do I know? That wardrobe was probably very heavy, just like her hair. It was probably like weighing her down. But it was pretty. Oh no, of course. It was (laughs) so much prettier. But And this is just like, oh, no. oh, a shapeless black dress. Hooray. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, anyway, fashion judgments aside. Later that morning, she walks through the town that the curse has created for her. She first sees Mr. Gold limping along the sidewalk past Marco, who is struggling to repair a sign. She then witnesses Battle Axe Granny slut-shaming, I mean arguing with Ruby, over the early shift at the diner. She walks past Archie Hopper walking his dog Pongo. Regina almost calls him Cricket, but stops herself, calling him Dr. Hopper instead. She carries on with a big smile on her face. I'm really irritated that the costume department did not go full 80s wardrobe here. Yeah, However, me too. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, come on, Eduardo. Like, this would have been... Someone should have ran by in a, a fucking jacket. Dream. And little shorts. (laughs) I mean, Ruby is seen in little shorts. Yeah, but they're not not the right kind of little shorts. No. No. And this would have been just, yeah, like the perfect opportunity for them to like go raid like the Goodwills of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It would have been fun. And it was such a missed opportunity to to show them like in actual 
dated clothes. I 9,000% agree with you. However, I do love the lowered contrast and other filters that they use to make the past look dated. Like it was like desaturated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And overall, just I love how these scenes while she walks through the streets are so similar to the ones that we saw in pilot and in episode two, the thing you love most. Like it, it really perfectly illustrates how repetitive life was for 28 years until Emma arrived. I guess that's why they don't change up the costuming because it's like same as it ever was, right? Talking heads. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but I would have that aside, I would have still would have liked to see them in the 80s costumes too. But I guess I get why they didn't. I mean, but. like by that token, when Emma fell into Storybrook, everyone should have still been dressed like they were from the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it was Absolutely. like this thing popped up in 1983 and just stayed the same since then, like everyone should have enormous hair and leg warmers. <laughs> Meanwhile, a cursed Mary Margaret teaches her students how to make a birdhouse 101. But the students scurry off to recess after this. Regina Mills walks into her classroom, asking her how long she has taught in Storybrooke. Mary Margaret is dumbfounded, responding, as long as I can remember. Regina takes her away from the classroom and into the hospital. There, Regina shows Mary Margaret a comatose Prince Charming. Knowing that they knew each other in the Enchanted Forest, Regina asks her if she recognizes him. To Regina's pleasure, Mary Margaret does not. She explains to her that he is a John Doe. Mary Margaret is optimistic that someone will find him, but Regina says she is doubtful. That's fucked up. It what? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I expected nothing less, but no. I'm just saying. None of us did, up. but just like the glee on her face. <laughs> she's like she's like, basically, oh. oh my God, she's like maniacally. Yeah. She is. She's like, she's like a hair's breadth away from like steepling her fingers like Mr. Burns. Yeah. And she's like watching Mary Margaret's face really carefully looking at David in the hospital bed. She's just like, do you recognize him, my dear? Oh, Madam Mayor. I need to like go back to my students I need to teach some bird housing 101 I know this po- she's just like why am I here and Regina's just there like do you know him he'll never wake up now <laughs> she's like I feel bad for him but I have children to teach can I go I go now <laughs> oh Regina <laughs> at granny's diner a resident reads the Storybrooke Daily Mirror, which reads, Reagan, Marines will be staying in Beirut. Granny serves Regina a plate of apple pancakes, and Sheriff Graham joins her. They trade compliments, but their flirting is interrupted by Owen, saying that he likes apple pancakes too. Regina does not recognize him and asks the other people at the diner whose child he is. I love that. Who do you belong to? Who does this kid child belong to? It's <laughs> <laughs> literally literally me dealing with kids okay so i totally was gonna say something i'd have been like oh lynn this is probably you when you deal with kids but like i knew it wasn't my turn to be the asshole this week no i own it i have no idea what to do with children my best childhood friend she refers to all children including her uh niece and nephews when they were young as dude hey little dude hey little dude (laughs) what's up little dude do you like like that that. little dude (laughs) like that little dude i like that I have no idea how children work. And until they're like maybe like 10, I have no mm. idea how to talk to them. Once they hit 10, I feel like we get some common interests because yeah. I have a lot of very immature interests. So then I can just be like, hey, you like robots. I like robots. Sweet. <laughs> Let's talk about robots. That I can do. I can handle this. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working with kids since I was a kid. So I 
I'm not even fully sure I understood other children when I was a child. (laughs) But I also was weirdo who just wants to go read quietly under a tree and not have the other kids talk to her. Yeah, that was that was exactly uh, that was exactly my childhood best friend. She was so just, like she was un- she was a kid uncomfortable as ch- like as a child with other children. Exactly. I was like, I don't know what I don't know what to do with you guys. I'm gonna go read. Okay, bye. <laughs> Regina asks Marco, but he depressingly denies being a father. Kurt interjects and introduces himself to Regina before asking her if she knows where her hotel room might be. Regina acts confused and asks him why he would need a hotel room. Kurt answers that they need a place to sleep. Graham is taken to the side by Regina, who asks him if he knows who they are. He tells the mayor that they were camping near the toll bridge and adds that he is just as surprised as she is. Regina says she is threatened by surprises and that bad things happen when she feels threatened. I mean, I don't like camping either, but yeesh. This poor boy is just like a golden retriever where she's like, I feel threatened. He's like, yes, yes, madam. You feel threatened bad. Threatened I'll get him, boss. Yeah, poor, exactly. It's such poor Graham. I know, poor Graham. Ugh, <laughs> this episode. It's, yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. In present day storybook, Regina is mourning her mother's death. Mr. Gold can be heard saying, black always was your color, before he is seen entering Regina's mausoleum. She tells him to leave and thinks he came here to gloat, but Mr. Gold remarks he is here to mourn as well. After placing a rose on Cora's casket, he explains Cora will always be in his heart, despite their differences. Regina curls her lip in disgust here, and I can only translate it as her going, gross, you boned my mom. I'm already sad enough. I don't need this. (laughs) For real, dude, her mom just died. She doesn't need to also be grappling with the idea that you two boinked. Hugh, 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 hugh. Rumpel just wants to be that meme where Grant Gustin is in front of Oliver Queen's headstone. Oh, yeah, when he's like uh, throwing up the deuces. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. It's deuces. It's not Papa Bless, it's deuces. Nah, he's throwing up the deuces. (laughs) Yeah. He's just like, it's like, sucks to be you, Cora. I'm here. Like, I'm still standing. <laughs> Look who's not dead. Plays Elton John in the background. I'm still standing. I'm still standing. Regina does not accept this, recalling Mr. Gold killed her mother in order to save his own life. Mr. Gold claims desperate times call for desperate measures. Regina says he may be able to hide behind his dagger, but Mary Margaret will die for tricking her into killing Cora. He does not think she will go through with it because it will cost her Henry and asks her to give up vengeance as it will not give her happiness. Regina believes otherwise, but Mr. Gold reasons that not even the curse made her happy, but left a hole in her heart. He tells Regina that Cora learned her lesson. She gave up love for power, and if she wants revenge, she will lose Henry. Regina says she will find a way to have everything. I think Cora brought up a lot of memories for Rumpelstiltskin and remembering that Regina was supposed to be his daughter. He's trying to like give her fatherly advice now. Like he has the most disappointed dad look. Yeah. He's just like, girl, just don't, please don't. (laughs) He's like one step away from just like yelling, learn from my mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. (laughs) Or learn from her mistakes. Yeah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Even more so, learn from her (laughs) Because, uh, <laughs> goddamn. <laughs> Meanwhile, David, Emma, and Henry are all sitting in the loft while Mary Margaret lays in bed. Henry asks Emma what happened to her. Emma is quick to say she is just sick. Henry looks up at David, who exchanges a look with Emma. 
Henry grows sus, instantly knowing that they are lying. Henry calls her out for lying, just like she did about his dad. David shoots Emma a disapproving look. Oh no, disapproving dad look. (laughs) Which prompts her to finally tell the truth. Emma admits Mary Margaret is partially responsible for Cora's death. Henry can't believe it and tries to reason that Snow White would never harm anyone. Aw, hasn't this sweet summer child figured out that no one is impervious to human foibles? People fuck up, kid. Yeah. (laughs) At the sound of a knock at the door, David answers to see Mr. Gold. David tells him to leave, but Mr. Gold assures them they will want to hear what he has to say. He cautions them about Regina's plans to strike back. As Mr. Gold takes his leave, David confronts him about owing them more than just a warning, pointing out that Mary Margaret saved his life and they deserve to be helped. Oh yeah, charming. Look at you being clever and and calling out that gold would be in Snow's debt now, which is like his uh, one thing he responds to. Charming is so dang handsome when he's being intimidating. (laughs) I'm very proud of him right now. He's being clever. And handsome. Yeah. Handsomely clever. Mm -hmm. Handsomely clever. Darn tootin'. In Storybrooke, 1983, Regina walks into the diner to find Kurt and Owen sitting where she usually does. She informs Owen that he is in her seat, and he logically responds that he is already sitting there. Regina is so petulant, and I kind of love it. <laughs> she is super butthurt. I yeah. love the way she's just like, that's my seat. That's my seat. <laughs> like, well, I'm sitting there, and she's like, but, but that's my seat. <laughs> but I always sit there. And I'm like, what, the all of 48 hours that you've been here? Yeah. The whole 24 hours that this place has existed, that is always where I have sat. (laughs) She tells Kurt the mechanic informed her his car will be fixed by the end of the week. Kurt thanks her, and as he and his son are leaving, Owen gives her the lanyard keychain. Puzzled, Regina wonders why he is giving it to her, and Owen replies it's a gift for allowing him to sit in her seat. Touched, Regina accepts the present. The next morning, Regina wakes up and restarts a new day with a sleeping shirtless Graham in her bed. No, I object. Poor Graham. The day goes by as usual. Regina gleefully watches Mary Margaret visit the comatose David, sees Mr. Gold limp past Marco, who is struggling to put up the sign, watches Ruby fighting with her grandmother, and is greeted by Archie. She bumps into Mary Margaret and berates her for not being careful. Meekly, Mary Margaret apologizes and scurries away. Again, Regina wakes up the following morning next to Graham. The sequence of events go by as usual, but Regina is less enthused. When she bumps into Mary Margaret, the teacher begins to apologize profusely for her clumsiness. Bored of having the town at her feet, Regina asks why she doesn't fight back. Confused, Mary Margaret doesn't understand why she would ever do that and continues walking down the street. Regina gets bored of Storybrooke so fast. Like, it's only the third day. For real. I guess everything coming at Millhouse wasn't all it was cracked up to be. (laughs) (laughs) Regina walks into the pawn shop, announcing to Mr. Gold she is unhappy. He does not understand what she is talking about and redirects her to see Dr. Hopper for therapy. She references the deal they made in the Enchanted Forest. To her surprise, Mr. Gold does not recall this deal. Regina tells him she would be happy in this town, but everyone does exactly what she wants them to do, and it's not real. She leaves his shop, remarking he has nothing to give her. Outside of the shop, Regina uses a payphone to call Kurt and tells him she would love to see his son Owen before they leave town. In present-day Storybrooke, Regina is still in her family mausoleum, now frantically searching through her mother's belongings. She begins to cry when she opens her mother's locket, which contains an image of them both. 
In anguish pain, she begins ripping her mother's dresses and finds a written curse in the process. Regina smiles, saying, thank you, mommy, which makes me super uncomfortable. Just saying. Regina, you are extra bratty in this episode. She is. My yeah. God. She is, she is something else in this episode. She's like seven in this episode. <laughs> yeah, she's like the, you know, like how the Muppet characters on Sesame Street are like, they represent like a certain age of a child like a mm -hmm. phase like mm -hmm. elmo's like a preschooler and stuff like regina <laughs> regina is like regina is like elmo but like in tantrum mode <laughs> yeah it's like let's just get you a juice box and then put you down for your nap because you are clearly fussy <laughs> i know when she was tearing up cora's beautiful dresses i, I was like no it was pretty upsetting oh. i was just like there are these beautiful clothes and she's just like frantically ripping them and i'm like Dude, come on. I know. Do you understand what a fashion icon your mom was? Exactly. Well, clearly not, because she was jazzed to trade in all her pretty queen dresses for a fucking black sheath dress. Mm. Mm. So no, I don't think she does understand. <laughs> Soon, David and Mr. Gold walk into Regina's mausoleum to discover the mess she has left in her wake. Mr. Gold tells David that Regina was searching Cora's belongings to find a spell to use on Mary Margaret. Because, I mean, everyone's mom keeps all their junk in a cemetery. That's super normal, right? I mean, I guess it's normal if you're evil. If I had a mausoleum, I would keep all of my worldly possessions there. Then, sure, why not? Mr. Gold sees two ingredients are missing from a potion case. The two ingredients necessary for the curse of the empty-hearted. Because he probably gave Cora that case of potion ingredients for their three-week anniversary or something. Well, um, people say romance is dead. <laughs> well, it is now. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Although I kind of liken those potion ingredients to seasonings. I'm like, girl, what are you doing carrying around like 45-year-old? Seasoning. <laughs> it's, it's like hard to find good lowry seasoning salt these days i guess <laughs> chimera blood i think was one of them was mm -hmm. one of the, the missing ingredients and i'm just like oh i bet they slayed that chimera together <laughs> oh. Oh. memories memories play a slideshow of last episode with i will remember you over it <laughs> You are the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> Memories by uh, by Barbara Streisand. And then followed, of course, by, was it People? What's that? What's that? Uh, like the people who The way people. we were. That was it. The way we were. <laughs> the way we were. Uh, Good. Later, he relays this information to Emma, along with the curse's abilities to make someone love you. Further, he explains that it can make someone believe they love you. Henry walks down, theorizing Regina will use the spell on him. He walks over to Emma, requesting she be honest with him. Mr. Gold answers Henry for her, saying if Regina uses his curse, she can get everything she wants. Revenge on Mary Margaret and Henry's love. David asks him how she can get both by using this particular curse. He states Regina needs the heart of the person she hates most to enact the curse, Mary Margaret's heart. Emma tells him that he has to stop her, but Mr. Gold claims informing them of Regina's plan has fulfilled his end of the bargain. But David and Emma are unconvinced, with Mary Margaret and Henry's lives in the balance. Mr. Gold says that wars have cost, much to Emma's protective mama bear outrage. Emma's like five seconds away from just kicking Mr. Gold. Yeah, like way to just be a whole ass in this scene, Rumple. <laughs> 
Mr. Gold suggests the only way to end a bloody feud begun by death must also end by shedding more blood. David and Emma reluctantly come to the conclusion that they must kill Regina, but Henry pipes in saying they're heroes and cannot kill his mom. Henry should have pointed at Mr. Gold and said, not you, Pop Pop, I expect this from you. <laughs> Pop Pop is a murder hobo. <laughs> <laughs> You're a murder wizard, Rumple. <laughs> when no one has a response, Henry storms out of the apartment. Emma hurries to follow suit and warns David they need to keep Henry as far away from this battle as possible. Mr. Gold agrees, remarking because Cora did not have a heart, it made her dangerous, but Regina is more dangerous for having one. Back in the cursed storybook of the past, Owen and his father are eating dinner with Regina. Kurt asks Owen if he likes the food, and he says no. Kurt steps in, seemingly to reprimand his son, but Regina interrupts him, admitting she is not the best cook unless it involves apples. Is lasagna the only thing Regina, like, ever makes? Like, lasagna is one of my favorite foods, and I'm not one to knock it, but diversify your portfolio, ma'am. So, like, this scene was extended initially, and while having Kurt and Owen over for dinner, Regina asks how her homemade lasagna tastes, right? And so in, mm-hmm. in response, originally, Owen says she should have added red pepper flakes. Oh, that's funny. Are you fucking with me right now? I am not fucking with I you. I wish they kept that. So then we have this <laughs> this weird monster child to blame for her monster child i can't stand this child oh. yeah that's from that was like he's a- so weird i'm sorry he is so weird <laughs> why is he weird he's, not, he's just weird. a kid he's weird and creepy <laughs> what <laughs> i don't like him he he the it was the actor who uh revealed that that the scene that that's what the original line was oh they should have kept that it should have I guess then we'd at least know why she's hell-bent on putting it in everything she makes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The impact, the ripple effect. Ripple effect. I like that. Maybe I- they would have thought it an odd, like, culinary breakthrough for a child of that age to have. No, it probably like, would it have been- use XYZ ingredient, man. I don't think so. It's probably what his mother used. Yeah. And- oh, yeah. That would have, like- See? That would have made it a lot better like a yeah, lot my better, mother, better who writing. you are trying to replace That's better writing that is better writing you're right elisa it's too bad that we're not dealing with competent <laughs> writers though i mean did you not did you not take note of who wrote this no. episode it's actually funny and sad because i remember like for this episode i was like oh i remember that episode it was really interesting and like it had sheriff graham in it i was so glad to see no, him i again. know i was remembering like this episode from but, having seen it a few a couple years ago yeah. and i was like so excited for it and now i'm like i don't like um, it anymore yeah well, we'll we'll go into it it's mixed. all it's i really remembered me. was being happy that graham was back yeah. that was the only thing i remembered about that episode is i was like i couldn't tell you a lot about it but i remember that i got to see graham again and i thought that was swell yeah yeah. I do like this twist, though, that it, it shows that Regina actively worked on becoming a better cook. I mean, it took her 28 years, but my gosh, she she did it. She she makes a good lasagna. Yeah, but she puts red pepper flakes in it. <laughs> she hasn't dealt with any of her so, other issues. You, you, you are going, lasagna. you are, I'm going to hold you to explaining Owen later, later, but I am going to have you, I'm not letting this go. Explaining I'm, Owen? Yeah. Like why? I you, have no further explanation. He creeps me out. Why? What about him? He just creeps me out. He he gives me the heebie-jeebies. He is a horror movie child. Just say it's irrational, and I will drop it. I 
mean, I guess so. I have no good explanation for why he creeps me out. Sometimes things just creep you out and he creeps me out. Yeah. Because I mean, this episode's a really unsettling episode. So like- I think he's unsettling. And you watch a lot of horror things. So you're like, I do watch a lot of horror things. He's like a little mini Damien. I feel like some of the line delivery is something that he's doesn't very, feel like a child should be saying it. Yeah, so coming I, out of I, a child creeps me out. So I'm I like, agree. I agree. You're don't, off. I don't think that Chambliss and Goldberg, on top of can all their other writing incompetencies, I don't think that they can capture children. Accurately. No. So like the way the dialogue they give him and the way they have him deliver it just makes me be like something's off about you kid because this is not how a child is supposed to act and talk and you kind of creep me out Mm -hmm. you're you're uncanny like it's 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 the uncanny and it creeps me the math i think it's just poor writing it is poor writing because it's so there there you have it i have to explain to you why he creeps me out (laughs) apparently mostly because he's poorly written that's okay that's a satisfactory answer actually all right (laughs) moving on (laughs) in response to elise's i don't know i think he's cute it's not like i'm like his face creeps me out it's not like i'm like this ugly little demented child of that no it's it's like (laughs) this child does not behave in the manner that a child should and i find that unsettling sure sure all right. I feel I feel that I've explained myself now more than I need to. <laughs> Agreed. You're good. I say more pointedly to my fiance than I do to you, Cal. Because <laughs> she's back here going, not- I think he's cute. I think he's cute. When I made no remarks about the child's appearance and everything about his demeanor. And now we are going to move on, goddammit. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Or else we'll be here all goddamn no. night. And I can't have that. I have things I want to do. I want to eat, eat muffin. a muffin. <laughs> we got monster muffins and goddammit, I'm going to eat one. Yeah. The mayor asks Owen if he wants to help her with apple turnovers she plans on making for dessert, sending him out of the dining room to pick out the best apples. Kurt laughs about Owen's comment about the cooking commenting that he gets his free spirit from his mother. Regina asks Kurt if Owen's mother is in New Jersey with the boss. <laughs> that line fucking kills me and I love it so much. So, and I don't think that we established when Kurt originally introduces himself to Regina and she asks where he's from. He says, New Jersey, home of the boss, which is the nickname for Bruce Springsteen for listeners who don't know that. Bruce Springsteen, you can just Google him. Um, we were born to run. <laughs> very, very, very famous, very, very famous singer. So Regina earnestly asking if Owen's mother is back in New Jersey with the boss is fucking hilarious to me. It's a nice nod to the 80s without being overly saturated 80s. Without just hitting you over the head being like, this is set in the 80s, remember? Yeah. Remember yeah. the 80s? Remember the 80s? Didn't you love it? Kurt tells Regina Owen's mother died six months ago she expresses her condolences and Kurt explains taking him to Maine was his attempt to take Owen's mind off of things Regina talks of coming to Storybook for a fresh start as well but it has not been as successful as planned she asks Kurt what good a new start is without someone to share it with Owen calls them from inside the kitchen asking if they're making apple turnovers or what A little while later, Regina puts the turnovers into the oven. As she takes off her apron, Owen asks her why she is not a mom. Regina tells him her life just did not work out that way. Owen tells Regina she would make a really good mom, which warms Regina's heart with gratitude. 
The two discuss Storybrooke, and Owen tells her he likes Storybrooke better than New Jersey. She asks him if he misses his friends, but Owen says he hates it there. The boy reveals that everyone there treats him weird, and Regina surmises it is because his mother died. Following this, Kurt walks in. Regina proposes the idea of both of them staying in town permanently, offering to give Kurt a new job working for the city. Despite Owen's excitement, Kurt believes their lives are in New Jersey and refuses the offer. Crestfallen, Regina tries to be understanding. And just like that, Regina's plan has changed from maybe marrying Kurt in order to become Owen's mom to just start to consider killing Kurt because that may be the only way to become Owen's mom. Girl, stop. Look at your life. Look at your choices. Don't try to steal this child. This child especially. He's super weird. (laughs) Although, can you imagine the level of horror show it would have leveled up to had these two been like, yeah, let's move here. And then they like, move here to Storybrooke. (laughs) And then they're like, something weird's going on. (laughs) Why is the same goddamn thing happen every single day? Every single day. It's like the opening of Beauty and the Beast, but way creepier. Marie the baguettes <laughs> <laughs> like i i almost kind of have to wonder like would kurt have secretly like left the town and gone to there or were more people show up because regina wouldn't have known any better you know to protect the town because as it is clearly people can come in and out well yeah. could, they were only in because they were inside the border when the curse hit right no because it rolled it rolled over them it did roll over them or it blasted them but you know like it's like um like dorothy like her house going into oz right it just went boom like right there in the middle of the woods all set but there was no barrier there was no protection so anyone could just like walk in and out and then regina put everything up and then owen booked it yeah to like hide to hide them you know, to realize that the outside world, because the outside world is going to complicate things. And so it kept everybody except her with the inability to leave. Flash forward to present day Storybrooke. Emma leads Henry into the diner. Henry is still upset about earlier and makes it known he doesn't want to talk to her, which Henry, my love, don't be shitty to Emma. She was like the only person in the conversation saying, maybe there's a different way to go about things than killing Regina. It's your granddads who were having the big time murder feelings. <laughs> yeah. It, it was grandpa twins. squad being like, she just, well, she, she's got to die. She's got to go. She's just got to fucking go. She's just, she got, she got, she is a danger to the family TM. <laughs> she agrees and brings him over to a table booth where Neil is waiting. While Emma goes over to the counter to grab coffee, Henry takes a seat across from his father. Ruby drops off Neil's order for Henry, which is a Sunday with extra everything. Henry can tell it's a bribe, but asks what he wants to talk about. Emma brought out the big guns. Adorable dad, Neil, and some ice cream. I love Neil in this scene. He's just so adorably pleased with himself. My daddy would take me to Friendly's, and I'd get strawberry ice cream with gummy bears on top. Well, that sounds amazing. (laughs) It was. It was. I don't know Friendly's, but I think I'd like it. You probably would. I don't know if it still exists. It's in um, Pennsylvania, though. It maybe exists only as an East Coast franchise? Definitely. It's only an East Coast franchise. Like Waffle House. Oh, <laughs> I really want to try it. She Waffle says House. so tragically. I know. <laughs> I can't wait to finally try a Waffle House. The closest one I think is in Arizona. Road trip. 
the only um, White Castle that is within reasonable driving distance is Las Vegas. And it was like the happiest day of my life when I got to go to the White Castle for the first time. I have to tick off Waffle House as well. Waffle House is my great love. When our friends were going on their honeymoon to Florida in September, they were like asking us about it since we go every year, like what things they need to do. And I was like, Waffle House. People will tell you that Waffle House is not good. They are lying to you and they are not your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I have very strong feelings about Waffle House. I love I, Waffle House. I can't wait to try it. And I don't care who judges me. Fucking love Waffle House. <laughs> no judgment. No judgment at all. Look at me. I'm I'm waxing poetic over White Castle. I mean, films have been made about White Castle, so That's I don't true. think that you're in the minority. Yeah, I still need to see those films. I saw one of them. Yeah, I saw the first one. Yeah. I, I heard they're a good time. I liked the first one. That's the only yeah. one I've seen. I haven't seen it in like 15 years. You I remember laughing. Me. Yeah, we saw it together. It yeah, funny. we saw it at your college, your college apartment. Mm-hmm. I remember I liked the part where they ride on the cheetah. Mm-hmm. Oh no. It's not a real cheetah. It's okay. I was going to say that poor cheetah. No, it's a mind cheetah. Yeah, it's a drug trip. It's a drug trip. Oh, it's a mind. Oh, I get you. Yeah. So they're like, they're like, whoa. Whoa, we're riding, riding on cheetah. The Neil Patrick Harris is on a unicorn for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. I've heard this. Because it, you know, they spend a lot of those movies getting baked. Oh, that was my first John Chow movie. Oh my God, country ham. Look at that slab of ham. I'm sorry. I know I'm talking to two vegetarians. <gasps> sorry, I'm on the Waffle House. <laughs> You're at the on the Waffle House website and you ain't looking at the waffles. I already, those were the first things I already looked at. And they, they have delicious. them with pecans. Oh my God, they have biscuits and gravy. They do. They do. Shit. Okay, so when I was visiting San Antonio, Texas, my friend took me to brunch. I got the biscuits and gravy and this wonderful, beautiful server. He came up to me and he goes, would you like more gravy? And, and in complete sincerity. And I just looked at him and I said, yes, yes, <laughs> I would like more gravy, sir. Thank you so much for asking. The food of my people going to Cracker Barrel. The food of my people. Oh, that's another place I still need to go. Oh, hell yeah. Cracker Barrel has the best biscuits. And then they'll come up and they'll be like, honey, did you want more biscuits? And I just look at them with tears running down my face going, God, yes, I would in fact like more biscuits, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I would. (laughs) Ma'am, I would love more biscuits. Bless you. (laughs) Cracker Barrel and Waffle House, please sponsor me. (laughs) Please. Please. Yes. I will sing your praises all day and night. I don't mind. I ain't proud. I love you. <laughs> All right, back to back to <laughs> back to, story back to our episode already in progress. <laughs> no waffle houses in sight. No, not a waffle house to be seen because this is a cursed place. No, Regina truly didn't want people to be happy, so she didn't build a waffle house. <laughs> Neil presents the idea that he and Emma think Henry would be safer temporarily moving to New York with him so Regina will be unable to cast the curse. Henry wonders out loud if the real issue isn't magic itself, suggesting someone ought to destroy magic as it would solve everyone's problems. Neil states that it might take a long time for them to figure out how to get rid of magic, and until then, the easier road would be for Henry to come to New York. In compliance, Henry agrees to go with Neil out of Storybrooke. Emma sits at the counter when Greg walks over handing his plate back to Ruby with the request for it to be bagged up to go as he intends to go on a hike. She thought he might have gone back to Pennsylvania by now, but Greg says Dr. Whale recommended getting out and the town is beginning to grow on him. After he pays for the meal, Greg leaves while Emma and Ruby exchange a look. 
Emma leaves the counter and goes to check on Neil. She asks him how it went, and Neil says it went well. With Henry nowhere in sight, Emma asks where he is, to which Neil notes the bathroom. She sees his backpack is gone from the table, and is shocked Neil fell for Henry's bathroom trick. They realize Henry ran away and leave in a hurry to find him. I love that Neil is all self-congratulatory. Like, not bad for day three of being a dad. And Emma's only response is, he's your son. Which makes his face go, oh shit, he's my son. (laughs) Yeah, Neil, he didn't know that Henry rolls chaotic neutral yet. Yeah. He's learning that real fast, though. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Regina walks up to Mary Margaret's apartment and uses her magic to unlock the door. She sees Mary Margaret crouching forlornly on her bed and takes off her glove, prepared to rip out her heart. Upon approach, she is blocked by Mr. Gold, who is protecting Mary Margaret. Regina looks over his shoulder, telling Mary Margaret he cannot be your guard dog forever. In 1983, Regina visits the car mechanic, Billy, to ask if he can take a few extra days to repair Kurt's car in order to ensure he stays for as long as possible. (gasps) It's Gus Gus! Gus Gus! Oh, Gus Gus, we miss you so much! Gus Gus! This episode has all the handsome dudes who were killed too soon in awful ways for no reason. Gus Gus and Graham, each you deserved so much better. So the scene originally opened where Billy shows Ruby a Chevrolet Camaro he's working on. So it's the origin story of Ruby's car. But the section was cut for time. That's sad. Yeah, it's really sad. It's sad. They cut cut more of my Gus Gus, and I'm very upset about it. I'm going to write some angry letters. It's also like establishing like a rapport with him and Ruby, which makes the whole thing sadder. She like talked with him and stuff and even like mentioned him a couple times. Yeah, they were friends. They were friends. Yeah. I'm sad. Billy, Billy, they did you so dirty. Poor Gus Gus. Billy tells her Kurt took off a few minutes before she came. Desperate to keep the Flins from leaving, she rushes to her office, removes Graham's heart from its box, and uses it to tell him to pull Kurt's car over for drunk driving arrest and to bring Owen to her. As she turns around in her swivel chair, Kurt stands in front of her desk with a confused expression on his face. Horrified, Regina places the heart back in the box. In an uneasy tone, Kurt says he is leaving, though Regina pleads for him to stay and tries to explain what he just overheard. Just when Kurt exits the office, Graham grabs him from behind and pins him to the desk. Kurt begs Graham to release him and speaks about a glowing thing that is shaped like a heart. Kurt pushes the box containing the heart onto the floor, causing Graham to clutch his own chest in pain. The distraction gives Kurt time to run out into the car where Owen is waiting inside. Owen asks what happened, but Kurt urgently states that they must get out of town now. 
scene is so uncomfortable, like from the heart controlling to the skirmish with Kurt, like it feels so bad for this guy. Like he's just a widower trying to do right by his son. You know, this poor man. It's all ridiculously uncomfortable. And like, Regina, that kid is super weird. You don't need it. It's not worth it. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) Flash forward to the present. Henry runs through the woods on the outskirts of Storybrooke, carrying his backpack. He bumps into Greg, who claims he's taking a hike and photos of the beautiful nature. You know, with his shitty Nokia phone. Greg picks Henry up from the ground to ask him what he is doing in the middle of the woods. Henry lies, telling him it is for Boy Scouts and points him in the correct direction of the hiking path. Ruby, Neil, David, and Emma search for Henry in a place he has been before, the mines. David's flashlight shines on a box of dynamite, which Neil believes Henry is using to get rid of magic. Ruby sniffing at first had me thinking that all they were going to find was like this pile of Apollo bar wrappers, like Henry's secret stash of candy. He's been here. Back in the woods, Henry removes the dynamite from his bag, placing it on the wishing well, the source of magic for Storybrooke. This is such an age appropriate kid logic, though. Think like a Looney Tunes character and all will be well. Just let the spirit of Wiley E. Coyote lead you, my son. I love so much that Henry's just like, I'm going to blow up the magic. That'll <laughs> fix it. That'll fix it good. <laughs> I mean, he is chaotic neutral. It's true. It's it a proper chaotic response. And as we were talking about the scene in the diner, I couldn't help but feel like it basically was just Gretchen Wiener's meltdown and Mean Girls. Oh. Like we should all just totally stab Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> Except just we should just totally blow up the magic. <laughs> Good logic, kid. <laughs> That's her boy. There he goes. Greg calls Regina to inform her about the whereabouts of Henry in the woods. He's concerned about a young child being all by himself. Regina says she is on her way. In the past, Kurt and Owen are racing out of Storybrooke, but Regina and Graham follow behind in a police car. Owen is confused and afraid of what they want. As the police car swerves past them, Graham rams his car into the side of the Bronco. To catch up, Graham takes a shortcut, managing to get in front of Kurt's car before he passes the Storybrooke border. Cornered, Kurt tells his son to run as far off into the woods as possible, then to call his uncle. Owen refuses to leave his dad, gripping his keychain tightly in his hand. Kurt promises Owen that, as long as he carries the keychain, he will always be with him. Owen listens to his father, leaving Kurt to be arrested by Graham. Regina approaches Owen, telling him that she wants him to stay with her. She reiterates that he confessed his desire to stay in Storybrooke, but Owen chokes out he does not want it like this. Regina apologizes, saying she just wanted them to be happy. She reluctantly lets him go, tearfully watching as Owen runs out beyond the border. This whole flashback is a goddamn horror movie. This poor sad dad. I am just so baffled as to why this unsettling child is worth literally any of this nonsense. Like, Jesus Christ, Regina. This whole plot is very Goldberg and Chambliss. Like, Mm -hmm. you know women, they just go crazy about wanting them babies. Oy vey. Oof. Yeah. Has one moment of kooky kid kindness just sent, like, the Kill Bill level alarms off in her head? It's just like, must have baby. <laughs> and I do believe when Rumple was like warning her like that the curse left a hole in her heart, this was the hole in her heart. 
this burning desire for family and like to be loved and stuff still such a like shitty misogynistic writing thing oh no for sure yeah for just sure be like women is just gonna go ape shit about their need to have a baby yeah yeah exactly it's like dude just just like this could have been dealt with so many different ways that didn't need yeah. to like and even if it was like you know i want to have a kid and stuff okay that's great like that, i think that's fine that's fine like i think they do it so much better in um next season when we see the origins of her of henry. getting Hen- of, yeah. yeah save henry but yeah i i yeah these guys just they don't know what the fuck they're doing they need to fucking do better mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> anyway in the present at the wishing well henry lights a match to blow it up regina cautiously walks over to him he explains his intent on bringing an end to magic, saying it is ripping apart his family. Regina argues it will not end magic and will instead only get Henry killed. Henry disagrees as he knows Regina only wants magic to cast the spell over him. As Henry begins to light the explosives, they disappear in a cloud of Regina's magic. He continues to persuade Regina to spare Mary Margaret. Regina does not listen claiming it is imperative for Mary Margaret to die for what she did. Neil, Emma, and David arrive in time to hinder Regina's efforts in regaining Henry. Emma perpetuates that she is Henry's rightful mother, but Regina claims after the curse is cast, he will be hers. Emma challenges Regina to get through them first before she kills Mary Margaret. Regina has no qualms with this and creates a fireball. In defense, David rips his gun out of his holster to point it straight at Regina. Henry places himself in the middle of this conflict to get both parties to stop. He says magic has caused them to fight, but Emma believes magic is not the problem, Regina is. Henry stubbornly says magic is what makes good people do bad things, citing Regina and Mary Margaret, which makes David lower his gun. I can only imagine Neil, through his naturally terrified for his son's life haze, is thinking, yeah, preach! That's my son. Magic is the devil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Proud of you, baby. I'm proud of you, boy. I'm proud of you, boy. (laughs) Henry pleads with Regina to help him eliminate magic. She refuses, but burns the curse to appease him. Henry thanks her and leaves with Emma, Neil, and David. Henry is consistently the only adult on this show. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Folks really should let Henry be the mediator right away before things escalate like this. He is literally the only one who can talk sense into Regina. And, like, he's a kid. It shouldn't be his responsibility. But all the same, he is the best mediator in this town. He is the only adult in this town. Maybe Archie. Yeah, okay, him and Archie. That's it, though. Yeah, that's two. (laughs) We return to the past. The police follow Owen to where he said the border of Storybrooke was. To their surprise, there is nothing to be seen. Though they say no town called Storybrooke exists, Owen looks straightforward in desperation. On the other side of the barrier, Regina almost touches his face. The police take Owen back in their car and leave. Mr. Gold is notified by David via phone call that the curse has been destroyed by Regina. With his protection services no longer necessary, Mr. Gold begins to leave. Quietly, Mary Margaret asks him how Mr. Gold can live with himself after all the bad things he has done. Mr. Gold states that when you tell yourself you did the right thing, and you tell yourself often enough, one day you might actually believe it. 
I am enjoying the introspectiveness Mr. Gold has adopted since he reunited with Bay. Like it will really culminate in season three, but any more said would be spoilers. But yeah, this scene was really good. Yeah, I, I really like this quiet scene between Mr. Gold and Mary Margaret. I think it's one of the better of the episodes. And probably one of the more in-character moments for, for some of these folks in the episode. One of the most yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's true. A lot of this episode does feel wildly out of character. I will put that out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like has just been the Goldberg Chambliss problem. Yeah, they I feel like have the approach to writing like when we saw the making of Rogers the musical, where it oh. was I had never seen a single Marvel movie in my entire life, but my husband told me about them and then I wrote this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how it feels with them a lot, is like I haven't watched the show at all. I don't really know these characters, but someone gave me a synopsis and I'm just going to write how I think they are. And it doesn't match up with any of the other episodes or how they act at any other time. But that's just, that's just my thoughts. Yeah, no, I feel you there. Unable to follow his advice, Mary Margaret shows herself to Regina on her doorstop and asks to be killed for what she did. Regina says Henry would never forgive her if she did and instead rips out Mary Margaret's heart. When Regina examines the heart more closely, she sees that it has a black spot on it, which signifies a growing darkness. Regina tells an anguished Mary Margaret the darkness will grow and soon it will infect her own family too. She shoves her heart back in and demands Mary Margaret to get off her porch. This scene I feel like is the the most typical Goldberg and Chambliss scene in the episode. Like Lana and Jennifer's performances are good, but overall the scene made me feel really icky. Oh, it's gross. We'll talk more in the we'll talk more in the in our uh post-credits uh chat yeah behind the bushes greg has caught the whole encounter on his camera that somehow upgraded multiple generations since the last time we saw his phone which is like sure man you somehow went from that shitty flip phone to an iphone in storybrook where all electronics are circa 1983 he enters into his car and from the ignition key also hangs a familiar looking keychain revealing greg is the grown-up owen he promises to find his father kurt and credits all right. So this episode is interesting. It's better than the majority of the other Goldberg Chambliss episodes we've watched so far, but it still has these moments that just feel icky. Like I'm, I'm not into this, this whole stance the show's taking with shaming Mary Margaret and that like her heart is turned black and there's no turning back plot. Like she did what she did to save her family. Cora was going to kill them all, either herself or even before that using gold as a weapon. Like Mary Margaret took the only option she had at that point. It was cold, but it was brilliant and, and they were out of options. I think her depression afterwards makes sense. But overall, the the way the narrative is treating her here is super gross. I do think the concept of the outsider Greg essentially being the sole survivor of a horror film returning to the place of his childhood trauma, that is an interesting plot. But how it goes from here, if I remember correctly, I... I don't remember it quite living up to the full potential that this episode's flashback set up here, but I haven't rewatched this one yet and no spoilers. So that's a conversation for later episodes. Yeah, I have a weird time with this episode. Like, it's interesting. And while it's not as glaring as in some episode, it still comes with the prepackaged misogyny that Goldberg and Chambliss have to bring into like every damn episode they write. 
like everything from bringing back fun times with granny the slut shame champ to the subplot of this episode has to be about women being so dang crazy to have babies that they'll just burn down everything around them to get one like miss me with that you lunatics too many of your plots revolve around a woman's worth being tied to children and the way snow is treated is shitty like yeah what she did was wrong and awful but as elisa pointed out she was doing it to save her family and it wasn't all her gold had a hand in it too but in typical fashion it's one thing when men behave ugly and something entirely different when women do and i tell you friends i am tired and so is merlin because i I was gonna say merlin merlin's like telling you to preach yeah merlin's just behind me being like tell him mommy tell him mom i won't take that she's going hella (laughs) and literally gold is the only one not shaming snow because he's been there done that and new cora had to be taken out he probably would have done it if he could have i i don't even know if what snow did was wrong like i think it would have been more interesting and therefore more work on the writer's part which you know they just love to do to have cora's heart be reinserted without the candle spell and have her live with all of the atrocities she's done and the consequences and do the work to make amends or however that can possibly even be done but you know what i'm saying just do work that to me would have been more compelling more dynamic of a twist but they want to make snow dark and edgy because lord help us if a character could just rise above it even when pushed as far as snow has been pushed which is why i won't blame her ever you know like yeah so pushed also i i hate the way that they rewound the clock on stupid hansen graham's rape like could we not have just conveniently wipe that away like the writers will and have wiped away every other <laughs> bigger plot points <laughs> like we're just like oh we just kind of forgot you know <laughs> you know i don't think so just because they seem to stupidly think that that's a trope that's okay yeah, yeah i know yeah. like they don't see anything wrong with the fact that they did that they then, so they just kind of double down on it yeah because yeah because it's it's a recurring it's a recurring plot in this fucking show mm-hmm. and as far as the greg and owen plot twist goes it is super interesting but yeah does not live up to its potential because yeah. it becomes Shocker. so interesting it could be so interesting it could have been oh it could have been i mean <laughs> we'll, we'll see could have been in the hands of better writers yeah, yeah. Why does bad canon happen to good characters, my friends? Yeah, don't know, but it sure does. Still feel terrible for Kurt, though. That was a great oh, sad no, dad. No, 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 totally. I'm I totally so feel bad for Kurt. I mean, but we knew. We knew the minute that the show opened with a dad being kind. Yeah. <laughs> that something was gonna happen to him. Yeah. So I did forget to mention one more deleted scene, mm-hmm. which is after seeing Regina destroy the curse of the empty hearted, David, Emma, and Neil are hopeful that they can begin to rebuild their family. But like Henry, who sure as shit knows better, reassures them that they will never be able to so long as magic exists and walks away, followed by his family. I'm like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> Henry, you know, like, you know, like He's that iconic remember that iconic poster of uh, Jake Lloyd as Anakin Skywalker and like his shadow cast is Darth Vader? Yeah. <laughs> like that's what this reminds me of in a way, like not in a bad way, but just like heavy is the heart that walks, <laughs> you, you know, poor Henry. Uh, he's done. He's, he's, he's done. so done. He's, he's, so, he's tired. so over it. Super done. So let's talk about the costumes. 
<laughs> hey, I mean, we can certainly try. I know. <laughs> Kurt's, so Kurt's vest is, was inspired by John Carpenter's The Thing, another film I actually really like. So long as I don't watch that one part with the doggo, I can close my eyes on that one and then I can be fine. And so it's it's the vest worn by the character George Bennings. So, so they knew they were making a horror movie when they made this episode. Is what yes, yes. And yeah. he and he is named Kurt. Because, oh, because, because of Kurt oh, Russell. Because of Kurt Russell. Yes, and he, you know, kind of vaguely looks like you know he had like the a Kurt little Russell beard yeah, and like look, the hair. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll grudgingly give them this one being kind of clever. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of clever. I say begrudgingly. Yeah. Owen's pom pom hat was based well, a real pom pom hat that worn by Adam Horowitz as a child. That was very cute. Also, I really love the pattern on the black blazer that Regina wears in the very last scene. It's like this embossed tapestry like black on black with solid black lapels either in silk or satin my only issue with it is that it's a single button and it's like right under her like bust and it puckers right there so like the fit isn't perfect like it should have been unbuttoned really i i just like i saw the pattern i was like whoa that's nice (laughs) but as lynn and i have lamented i am I just wish the clothes had been more 80s. I feel like we really, really missed an opportunity there. We absolutely did. I mean, Ruby was wearing American apparel, for God's sake. Yeah, nothing anyone was wearing existed in 1983. I'm sorry. No, only Kurt and Owen. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was done to like make them stand out, but still like- To make it more unsettling that it's all like, where did this town come from? Yeah. These strange people in their strange clothes. Yeah. (laughs) They're strange cars that have not been invented yet. Some of them have. Some of them have, but yeah. not all of them. So now we get to play Who's That Guest Star, speaking of which, in which we discuss guest stars. In season two, episode 17, we have John Piper Ferguson as Kurt Flynn. Australian actor Ferguson has been working in film and television since his teens with roles in such titles as Suits, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., The 100, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Burn Notice, the X-Files, and Caprica. Benjamin James Stockham as Owen Flynn. Viewers will recognize young Mr. Stockham from his roles in About a Boy, 1600 Pen, and Sons of Tucson. And fun fact, the surname Flynn comes from the Disney film Tron. That makes sense because the actor really does look like a, a, a mix of Kurt Russell and Jeff Bridges. Yep. So Flynn is Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Bridges. Jeff Bridges. I love Jeff Bridges. No wonder I am so sad about Kurt. The dude abides. <laughs> so I have been told. All right. So now it's time to take a trip back to the 80s and Once Upon a Timeline. The flashbacks in this one show us the arrival of Regina, the cursed victims, and the town of Storybrooke into the land without magic. The flashbacks that would fall directly before this one would be Regina's casting of the curse, which we've seen in many episodes, including season one, episode one, pilot, season one, episode 20, the stranger, and season two, episode nine, queen of hearts. And the flashbacks we've seen so far that would most closely follow this one would be Emma's arrival in Storybrooke in episode one, season one, pilot. I think this is also the very first episode that solely takes place in Storybrooke. I think so. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. So now it's time for share and tell. Yay. What you loving? What you doing? What do you, what'd you love this week, girls? I marathoned Yellow Jackets. 
and I really enjoyed it. And I'm sad I have to wait almost a year for the next season. Mm. That show has been recommended to me, and I was like, nay, nay. Oh, Chell, don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I watched it after I went to bed. (laughs) Yeah, like I would tell Elisa about it, and I'd be like, don't, don't, don't watch it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Don't watch it. I it sounds great like it, it is great but like, I feel I, like it would I feel like this you. is something I would like to read about like on Wikipedia and stuff and I'd be like that's really good or oh, that's like good. if it was a book you'd be chill with it yeah yeah I watched Hello Dolly for the 100th time this week and it made me very happy which version the, the 1969 one with Barbara Streisand Walter Matthau and and Michael Crawford being a cutie and Tommy Toon and Tommy Toon with his long, long legs. Don't forget about Tommy Toon. Never forget about Tommy Toon. I love that version. That's it's the so that's good. the version that Wally is watching. It mm-hmm. is the version Wally is watching. Yeah. Wally's my favorite Pixar film. It's so good. So mine is, I just want to give like a big shout out to the Buy Nothing Movement group. Like if you are on the Facebook, uh, I recommend to all of our listeners uh, joining your local chapter of Buy Nothing. You give stuff, you request stuff, nothing is wasted. It's to eliminate waste and to like breathe new life into things that like you otherwise just don't use. Like, and in my chapter, we're okay with like food stuff. So this week I was able to give vegetarian curry and my peanut butter chocolate chip bars away uh, because when I cook or bake, I can rarely just make enough for one or two. (laughs) Like I, I cannot cut down. So it's nice to know that like my food (laughs) is going and feeding other people. I've given away stuff that, you know, I didn't need to. I had one mother this summer ask if anyone had a fake Christmas tree because her children got it into their heads that they wanted to have a Christmas in July tableau or party or something. And I said, oh, I have like a little two foot pink one and I didn't mind giving it to them because she was like oh you know we'll just borrow it you know and and I'll give it back and I told her I was like you know you can just keep it because I'll I'll get a new one it's totally fine and it like made her kids weak like they just you know they're just being creative and imaginative and you know it's just fun and it helps you get to know your community a little bit better and learn that not everyone is a complete and utter asshole (laughs) that's a good thing yeah that's a good one. I'm just like, I sat on my butt and marital on a very disturbing TV show. Oh, don't get me wrong. I sat on my ass most of this week, but you know. Oh, okay. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, while Mary Margaret goes off on her own in an attempt to come to grips with what she did to Cora and how the, her deed has affected her, she stumbles upon August, <sighs> <sighs> who has hidden himself away, ashamed at the action he's taken in life. As he should. As he should be. <laughs> As he should. And Emma is shocked when Neil invites his fiance Tamara, to come to Storybrooke. Meanwhile, before the curse was cast, August, hooray, is introduced to a man of magic who may be able to prevent him from turning back into wood, but at a steep price. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is... If you see a town magically appear in a lightning storm, maybe just run in the opposite direction. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. 
If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairytale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Don't you judge me, I more than explained myself. <laughs> you have. You're so judgmental. <laughs> My God. I am not. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> Judgy Jason over here. <laughs> <laughs>